Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the annual Missions Conference. This is the first morning session of Sunday the 31st of May 2009 and here is Brother Richard Rawls. I'm thankful for all the goodness of the Lord and uh, I was thinking as we were coming on the way to the church this morning it's such a blessing not only to have the joy and peace of the Lord in our hearts, but to have a physical body where you just just feel good. You know, sun shining, beautiful, pretty out there, and then to uh, have friends and loved ones in Christ and uh, uh, joy and peace, blessing. And I do uh, indeed. I so enjoy coming over here. I was uh, I was thinking as I was listening to, to different ones of you talk, and then seeing your response to the preaching of the word this week and just different things. And, <clears throat> pardon me, scripture came to my mind that I was dealing with in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm not going to be preaching from there. Uh, you might turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But uh, I thought about uh, a prayer request that Paul was making in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1 that I mentioned earlier. He said, and finally, brethren, pray for me that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is in you. And I see the working of the Lord in this church and the course, the free course that the word of God has taken in raising up a people that love him, know him, are dedicated to him, and, uh, you know, rejoicing and fellowshipping, fellowshipping together. The Word of God produces all of this when it's taught, when, you, when it's being preached, you know, week in, week out. And uh, I'm just amazed uh, not only to see that, but to be a part of it. It's really, really, truly a blessing uh, to, uh, to have this. And it's a joy and blessing. I cannot tell you what a joy and blessing it is to be with you. And uh, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, and just have this time together. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to talk to you on the rewarding aspect of uh, being dedicated to the Lord, giving your life to Him, serving Him. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I, I heard someone say, or read it, one or the other, just, uh, just a few weeks ago, and it stated so aptly well. It said, in sin, the devil always paints sin as being so beautiful and so wonderful, so challenging. Uh, you know, if you look down the road of sin, it's just flowers and, man, so tremendous. But you start down that road, and it's full of heartache, sorrow, bitterness, wreck, ruin, always. That's the road that sin, uh, that, that's, that's the rewards of sin. And uh, there's no variation on that, I'm telling you. Uh, wreck and ruin, just destruction, heartache, misery. Uh, it's, sin is so desperately unrewarding. The Christian life, on the other hand, <clears throat> is painted, uh, you know, in the eyes of, of people. It looks like it's going to be drab and dull and man, so unfulfilling and you're going to be deprived and, and it is the exact opposite. The exact opposite. 
that what appears to be dull and drab is where you find total fulfillment, blessing, joy, peace. And uh, these are not pious platitudes. These are realities. I'm 73 years old, and I got saved when I was 17. And I don't regret one day that I've spent for the Lord. I do regret when I gave him less than my best. I do regret that. But uh, I found the, the Christian life to be so blessed, so tremendous. And over the years, I've watched people who tried the very best and had a lot of things going for them, traveling down the other road. And there's not been one exception, just the wreck and the ruin, heartache and uh, no fulfillment in life. But, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I want us to uh, think along that line this morning and look at the rewarding side of the Christian life. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I want to read verses 1 through 6, and if we could stand please for the reading of God's Word. <coughs> the Bible says, now faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, that is by faith, he being dead, yet speaketh. Abel still speaking through the testimony that he obtained, and he's speaking today through the recording of God's word and his testimony. By faith, Enoch. Enoch was a man that walked with God. In those days of Enoch, men began to call upon the Lord, but by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found. They evidently went and searched for him when he didn't show up the next day and the next week. It says, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he, notice now, he that cometh to God must believe two things, must believe that he is, that he exists in other words, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray again that you'd help us today as we sit quietly with our feet at your table to receive the things that you have for us. And I pray, dear Lord, that as we study these, if there be one here, Lord, that is not saved, that you would open their hearts, open their understanding. I pray a shaft of light, Lord, would shoot into that darkness. And, Lord, they would, uh, Father, be awakened and, uh, Lord, brought to a realization and understanding of thee. And I pray, dear God, that you would help those, Lord, who might be wavering, Lord, uh, maybe trying to live and get the most out, of, most out of sin and yet the most out of the Christian life simultaneously. We know that's an impossibility. And I pray, dear God, that you would help that person. 
Lord, that they might see the joy, the peace, the blessing, the, the, the fulfillment, the wonder of just being dedicated to you, giving their best, and all of us giving our best to you, Lord. And Father, knowing that we're not going to be cheated, we're not going to come up on the short end of the stick, Lord, that you are going to uh, reward each of us who diligently seek you by giving our lives to you and walking with you. And I pray that you'd make the message live in Jesus' name. For our sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pastor, what time do I need to be finished, please? Okay. All right. And uh, in our passage here, I want us to look especially at verse 1 and then verse 6. Uh, faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Really, faith is the title deed to uh, uh, the things hoped for and we can't explain it. It's just in our hearts. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then going to verse 6, says, But without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You forget pleasing God if you don't have faith. And uh, it says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that is, that God exists. You can't come to God if you don't believe that he exists. But there's a second thing, and here's something else you've got to believe. It says, and that he, that is God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, if I say to Brother Steve, Brother Steve, come up here. I'm going to give you a piece of money. And, uh, you know, if he comes and I don't give it to him, then I've broken my word, right? Okay. Now, if I say, Brother Steve... All you got to do is extend your hand. I'm going to give you a piece of money. Didn't take much to get that, did it? Of course, it didn't give you much either. It's just two American dollars there. But uh, God says to come to him, you must believe that I exist. And you must believe that I am a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. See, I rewarded Brother Steve, and all he had to do was extend his hand. God says, you've got to believe that I exist and that I am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. Now, if God is not a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, then we are required to believe a lie to approach him. It would be totally inconsistent, preposterous. The truth is, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And when we think about diligently seeking him, we're thinking about people, you know, who dedicate their hearts and their lives to him, and they're searching his word and really want to know the will of God and do the will of God. And uh, whatever is necessary to, uh, to do that, they're willing to uh, make that sacrifice. And so with that cost in mind, with that thought in mind, <clears throat> Pardon me. I want us to look at three people this morning, very briefly, in the scriptures, who actually believed God and they diligently sought Him, and uh, God honored that. The first person that I want us to look at is Moses, and you find Moses in the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven, the same chapter that we're in here, 
and go down to verses 23 through uh, 29. And uh, then you find that Moses, and I'm not, I don't have time to read all, all of the things about him, but if you're familiar, you find that Moses was born in Egypt at a time when an edict had been signed, an order had been given by the king that uh, all the male children were to be killed. As soon as they were born, they were to be killed. And uh, this was because that uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh there, the, the, the ruler, he thought that uh, the males of Israel might rise up to be a snare with them, against them if they were ever attacked. So anyway, Moses, born under the sentence of death, his mother and dad saw that he was a goodly child, that is, no deformity or anything like this. And not fearing the wrath of the king, they chose to ignore the king's edict, and they kept Moses alive. Ended up with him being hidden in a little ark that his mother had made, and they put him in the bulrushes down the river Nile. And uh, Moses' sister, you know, close by, observed, and here comes Pharaoh's daughter and her maidens down there, and uh, I guess they're going to take a dip, swim, you know, in the river. And she saw that little ark over there and sent one of her maidens to, to fetch it, to get it. And when she opened the thing up and looked, Moses was crying. And uh, that was not an accident. God had Moses crying to move that mother spirit that's in most every woman. And she adopted Moses as her own son actually sent Moses' sister to get one of the Egyptian women to nurse him and ended up paying Moses' mother to nurse her own child. And Moses then was raised in the courts of Pharaoh, burst in all the wisdom of Egypt, and for 40 years he, he was in line to become the next Pharaoh. Pharaoh had no sons. And he was in line to become the next Pharaoh, the ruler on the throne of Egypt. But when he was 40 years old, again, God's working in his heart. He goes down to the land of Goshen to uh, visit his brethren, the Israelites, and uh, he saw an Egyptian smiting one of his brethren. And so he takes up for his brother. He, uh, he slew the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, he's down there again, and he sees two brethren fighting, two, Egypt, uh, two Israelites fighting. And he said, your brethren, you ought not to fight. They turned on him and they said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses said, surely this is known throughout all the land. Now he's got to make a, he's got to, he's got to make a decision. Am I going to Pharaoh and tell him, look, in a heat fit of anger, I killed a man, an Egyptian yesterday. I hit his body in the sand and so on and I played the fool, and I want you to understand what happened, and I'm sorry, you know, and smooth it over like this so he can stay down there in Egypt, or does he go with the children of God? The Bible tells us here in this passage, verses 23 through 29, that Moses made a choice. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to be with the Israelites. He chose the Israelites' side. He couldn't stay in Egypt. He ran, and not fearing the wrath of the king, 
No, the king's going to send out the FBI, the CIA, whoever after him, you know. But not fearing the wrath of the king, he, he fled and ends up on the backside of a desert 40 long years keeping sheep for a pagan heathen father-in-law, took a Gentile bride, which uh, actually is a type of the church and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's out there 40 long years on the backside of that desert. And it cost Moses a throne. It cost him the pleasures of sin. And in his position, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> he would have had a wild array and choice of uh, sins that he could have indulged in. But it cost him all of that, all of it, to be the man God wanted him to be. And I want to leave Moses there for a little bit. Cost him a throne. Cost him all the treasures of Egypt. Cost him all the pleasures of sin. That's what it cost him to make this decision to serve God, to be faithful to him. I want to look at another man. <clears throat> Pardon me, this man's name is Peter. <clears throat> Peter in the New Testament, a fisherman, had a fishing business, had three partners, two ships, and uh, one morning he looks up, and here's a crowd, a massive crowd moving in his direction. And uh, he, sure enough, it's confirmed. He looks, and there's the Lord Jesus in that crowd. Jesus walks out of the crowd, steps over into Peter's boat, and said, launch out into the deep a little ways, or launch out from the shore a little ways. And Jesus used Simon Peter's boat for a pulpit, and he taught the people. And uh, Peter had to make a decision in doing this. He was cleaning his nets because he, you know, was a fisherman and uh, hadn't caught anything the night before and trying to get ready to fish the next time and, you know, cleaning trash, junk, seaweed, whatever, out of the nets. Uh, Jesus said, launch out a little way from the shore. Peter has a choice. Does he get involved with this man, Jesus? Or does he say, look, uh, Andrew, somebody else, you know, uh, take do what the Lord's saying here. Let him use our boat. Peter made the right choice, and he launched out. And, uh, and so the Lord used his boat, and when he had finished teaching the people, he gave Peter something of an object lesson, or uh, he, he, he said, Peter said, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a drop. And Peter said, Lord, all night long we've toiled and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will. And if you check in the book of Mark chapter 5, instead of letting down the nets, plural, as, pardon me, Luke chapter 5, instead of letting down the nets, plural, like Jesus said, they let down one net, singular. And when they began to draw it, the net began to break because of the multitude of fish that was in that net. And I don't know much about fishing, commercial fishing, but I know this much. In a case like that, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> you unload out of the top of the net, and they did that over into the boat, unload out of the net, over in the boat, until the net gets light enough. Then with the left lifting mechanism on the boat, you can lift it on over the net and all into the boat. They unloaded out of that net and over in the boat and over in the boat, over in the boat, until that boat began to sink. I mean, it's sinking, going down in the water and getting too low for it to be safe. They beckoned for the others. They brought the other ship, 
really the, the word ship is used. And, uh, and they unloaded out of the net over into that ship and over into that ship and over into that ship until it also began to sink. And at this point, Simon Peter is seeing the miracle working of God. He fell down before the Lord and said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus, Jesus said, Fear not, Simon. He says, From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it cost Peter, James and John, Andrew, those four men, it cost them what evidently was a lucrative fishing business. Amen? It cost them. Now, I want us to look at one more person, and then we'll come back to these. We find another scenario where someone else is called upon for sacrifice. And in the Gospel of John chapter 6, and you also find this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9, there was 5,000 people, 5,000 men besides the women and children. And uh, the Lord, if you study all four places of this, the Lord, uh, the disciples first told the uh, Lord, said, Lord, send the people away that they may go into the towns and villages and buy food for themselves, buy themselves victuals. And Jesus said, they need not depart, you feed them. And they said, from whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Philip evidently was keeping a tab on the amount of the treasury. In John chapter 6, uh, he's... Jesus asked Philip, from whence shall we buy bread? And Philip uh, must have known because he said, Lord, 200 pennyworth of, is not sufficient that every one of them may take a little. He's talking about Roman pennies, and they were worth way more than a penny is of our money. But, but uh, Jesus said, uh, what do you have here? And they said, there is a lad here that hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, bring it to me. They go, and that little lad gave up his lunch, and in order to obey the Lord, he makes a sacrifice. Moses sacrificed a throne. Peter sacrificed a business. This little lad sacrifices a lunch. What did the Lord do in return? He is a rewarder of those that make investments with him, those that diligently seek him. What did, what did the Lord do? Moses, in effect, has invested his life. Peter's invested his. I'd like to think that little lad has just started down a road that will lead to the investment of his life with the Lord. You know what the Lord did? You go back and you find that Moses... Now 80 years old, first 40 years in Egypt, second 40 years on the backside of the desert, he, uh, he sees a bush burning, Brother Steve. And this is not an ordinary fire out there in the desert. The bush, he looks back and keeps watching, and it's not consumed. He just keeps on burning, keeps on burning. And uh, that reminds me of some of God's servants. Should have been burned out a long time ago, but... Uh, you know, with all the things the devil's thrown at them, they just keep on burning and keep on burning and keep on, and even smiling while they're burning. Hey, Moses turned aside to see this. 
And when he began to draw near to the bush, the Lord spoke to him out of the midst of that bush and said, Moses, Moses, cast off your shoes, for the ground whereon thou standest is holy ground. And Moses was now standing in the presence of God. Why did God say, take your shoes off? That's an act of a very high adoration and also an act of humility. Plus, Moses walking among the sheep had the defilement of the world on his feet. You cannot take the defilement of, of the world into the presence of God. One of the others got to go. You can't live in sin. You can't live in sin and expect God's blessing to be upon your life. Uh, I, it's not going to work, amen. You walk in darkness and say you have fellowship with the Lord. You lie and do not the truth, the Bible says. And so Moses, Moses was there commissioned to go back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, I said, God said, let my people go. And Moses said, they're not going to hear me. They're not going to listen to me. And the Lord said, what do you have in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it down. He cast it down and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. I can understand that. Amen. I'll run from snakes. But, hey, uh, the Lord said, Moses, take it by tail. And I grew up on a farm. You never take a snake by the tail. I saw my uncle catch snakes. He'd get a forked stick and get right behind their head, you know. And then he'd reach down and catch that snake right behind his head. And he didn't care if the snake coils around his arm or whatever. We didn't have any... We didn't have any pythons or boa constrictors, but uh, you don't take a snake by the tail and leave the business in loose. He'll bite you. And I mean, quick, you can snap your finger. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll bite you. And yet Moses, in obedience to the Lord, took that serpent by the tail, because the Bible said Moses is faithful in all of God's house, and it became a rod again in his hand. And you read from that point on, that rod is jointly referred to as the rod of God, along with it being the rod of Moses. It's going to be used in going back to, to Egypt and raising that rod over the land. The land will be filled with lice, filled, filled with thunderings and lightnings, filled with hail, filled with frogs. I'm always amazed when they finally get down toward the end and, and Pharaoh's telling Moses, pray for the lice to be taken away. Take, pray for the lightning. Pray for the... But when it came to the frogs, he said, uh, tomorrow morning, <laughs> one more night with the frogs, you know. Amen. That's like a lot of people. They know God's dealing with them, but I'm going to have one more night in sin. Oh, isn't that pitiful? And uh, Moses became the deliverer of the nation of Israel. Finally, Pharaoh tells him, said, you get out of here and you take those people with you. And if I lay eyes, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. And so Moses did, told the people, get ready. And before they left Egypt, God put it into the hearts of the people to repay Israel for all of the slave labor they had been investing. And they spoiled Egypt. They they took from them the the Egyptians, quote, loaned them or gave them all of their treasures, anything to get rid of you. So, you know, hey, uh, they, they left and God went with them. He became a cloud by day, moving, going behind them between because it, Egypt took out and was going to bring them back into bondage. And uh, 
Pharaoh had hardened his heart and hardened his heart. And finally, God hardened his heart. And Pharaoh's pursuing after Israel, going to bring them back. Well, God uses a cloud, his glory, to go between Israel and Pharaoh in the daytime. This cloud is impeding the travel of the Egyptians. And then by night, this cloud moves in front and becomes a pillar of fire so that they can keep going. And it's aiding them. And the children of Israel is staying ahead of Egypt with all of the chariots and all of the best means of travel and the soldiers and everything else. And they've got children, they've got cattle, they've got little ones and all. And they're going ahead. And it's God that's doing it. They come to the Red Sea. They're hemmed in. Pharaoh and his crowd's on the, you know, behind them. And uh, they've got no way to turn. And the people now ready to stone Moses because of the predicament he's gotten them into in their eyes. And Moses said, Lord, what I do? He said, these, these folk be ready to stone me. And the Lord said, raise your rod over the sea. He raised it over the sea, and all night long, a mighty strong east wind blew that was from the Lord. And the water was, the sea was dried up. They've since found the remains of chariots and uh, where those people, you know, crossed over, uh, I guess, different things of, of uh, weapons or whatever. And, uh, and they found in that place where they crossed over, the water was 5,000 feet deep. That's no problem for God. The Egyptians, trying to do the same thing, went down into the sea. The water's still, still away, you know. And when they got down in the sea, God caused them to take the chariot wheels off of their chariots, and they all get bunched up and in the sea. And then God said, Moses, raise your rod over the sea again. And he did. And the water came back over and drowned every one of them. Isn't that amazing? Listen, Moses was faithful in all of God's house. On and on, he's being used. He's, he, he has so much wisdom. He's wearing himself down, judging the issues of the people. God used him to become a deliverer of a nation. And all throughout the annals of history, Moses, never a man more faithful than Moses outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would God do with you? What would he do? What, what does he want to do with us if we'll just diligently, diligently, diligently seek him? Look at Peter. Simon Peter gave up the fishing business, ended up broke. You say, preacher, how do you know he's broke? Because in John chapter, uh, let me think, John chapter 21, he's going back to the fishing business, evidently trying to figure out how he's going to supply for his wife. See, the Lord's been resurrected, and he's not right with them every day, and prior to that, he was taking care of him. Matthew chapter 17, he had tax money due, and evidently didn't have the money to pay it, because when he went to get fishing for the Lord, uh, the Lord said, uh, take the, the fish that first cometh up, when you've opened his mouth, you find a piece of money that take and give unto them from me and thee. See, so pay my taxes with that, and pay your taxes also, Peter. I know he was broke in the book of Ma uh, the book of Acts, pardon me, chapter three, when he's going to the temple at the hour of prayer with John, and uh, there's a lame man looking at him, you know, begging for alms. Go, he's taken there daily, at lame, can't walk, you know, and. Uh, 
he's crying alms, alms, and Peter fastening his eyes on him. He said, silver and gold have I what? None. He's broke. He said, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand, and the Bible said his feet and ankle bones receiving strength. He leaped up. Amen. He got excited. He lost his composure, walking and leaping and praising God and holding Peter and John. And Peter, with all the people come running together, he said, look, it's not us. Don't look at us as though we, by our power or holiness, made this man strong. He said it's through Jesus Christ and his name, faith in his name, that this man has this perfect soundness. And he preached again. On the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, Peter has preached and 3,000 people got saved, born again, converted, lives changed. They don't love sin anymore. They love God. I mean, instantly that happened. And it's happened to me and you, you, many of you understand. Hey, listen, Peter preaches again. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, we find that 5,000 men, that's besides women and children, 5,000 men. That's in addition to the other 3,000. That's now 8,000 people that are saved as a result of a man who was willing to give up a fishing business, let the Lord work in his life, let the Lord shape him and mold him. And God's hand has just begun on Peter with the ministry. He's going to give it. You find when God's ready to open the door of faith to the Gentiles, Gentiles or anyone that's not Jews, hey, it was Peter that God gave the vision to and sent him to the house of a man by the name of Cornelius. And his life's filled with excitement and joy and peace and blessing. When it came time for Peter to die, he would, we're told, by studies on the side that he died the death of a martyr. And it was like, Peter, you have preached so much about this Jesus and his crucifixion and the cross being the answer for man's sin and that people can be born again and go to heaven and not go to hell if they'll repent. We're going to crucify you on a cross just like him. And Peter said, no, sir. He said, if I could make one request, he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. You hang me upside down. And they tell us that's the way Peter died. Amen. Let's leave those. Let's leave Peter. We see what God did for Moses. We see what God did for Peter. What about the lad that gave the lunch? It's interesting to note that in four places in the Bible, it's recorded what God did. I somehow believe that every time somebody preaches about that little boy giving that lunch, maybe their heart is stirred to give a lunch or to give their life or to give something to the Lord in view of what God did with him. See, that little boy may not have had enough to eat with those five loaves and two small fishes. But I want you to know when the Lord took it and blessed it, he had all he wanted and then some because it took up 12 baskets full of fragments. And by the way, I personally somehow believe that that little boy's one got those 12 baskets full. 
Because Luke 6.38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give in your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it, that is, that same measure, shall be measured unto you again. Hey, uh, God used that little boy's lunch to feed a massive multitude. Again, it was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. There might have been fifteen or 20,000 people there. That's no problem with God. God is so real. He is so real. And uh, I say to you this morning in closing, if we will diligently seek the Lord, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We don't have time this morning, but I ha- and it's not because I know that much about the Bible. I've just... I've been challenged to do this, not by others, but in my own heart. And I've, on different occasions, asked people to give me scriptures where the Lord tells us to give something. And then I share with them how the Lord, right in that same passage, shows his rewarding. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. We give and it's going to be given to us. Amen. Uh, Mark 9, uh, chapter 9 and verse, uh, no, pardon me, chapter 10 and verse uh, 28. The rich young rulers turned away from following the Lord, won't do it. Peter said, Lo, we've left all and have followed thee. And Jesus did not refute that. But he said uh, to Peter, he said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, land, father, mother, sister, brother, but he shall receive uh, now in this time a hundredfold hundred times over. Peter's saying, in fact, Lord, we've given it all. We've given everything. And Jesus saying, here's what you're going to have. In this time, that's besides what you're going to have on the other side. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. A rewarder. Them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your presence today. And I pray that you'd help us to diligently seek you by giving our lives, our heart, by living faithfully for you, walking with you, and Lord, never doing anything to disgrace your name. Help us to be stepping stones for sinners to help them into the kingdom of God and never be a stumbling stone over which they might stumble into hell. In Jesus' name, for our sake we pray. Amen.